The unofficial end to summer is here. School has started for most, football season is upon us, and soon the leaves will be changing color. At the DSR Network, we remain as busy as ever with a full slate of podcasts scheduled for the fall. In the coming weeks, we'll be launching two new shows with new hosts, creating even more content for our members. Members receive an ad-free listening experience, an evening newsletter, an invitation to join the DSR Slack community, bonus content, and more. Best of all, if you become a member in the month of September, you'll receive 20% off the normal membership price. Visit thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and enter code SCHOOL at checkout. That's thedsrnetwork.com slash buy and code SCHOOL. Thank you for your support. This is Deep State Radio, coming to you direct from our super-secret studio in the third sub-basement of the Ministry of SNARK in Washington, D.C., and from other undisclosed locations across America and around the world. Hello, and welcome to the podcast. It's that time of the week for We're All Gonna Die Radio. Uh, It's what you look forward to. Uh, it's almost the weekend for most of you. It may be the weekend for some of you. And what do you want to be thinking about? This stuff, really dark stuff. And that's why I'm here, your host, David Rothkopf, and your co-host is also here, John Wolfstall, nuclear expert and the man who coined the name We're All Gonna Die Radio. How you doing, John? Uh, I'm I'm good, David. It is factually true. We are all going to die. It's just a matter of when. Yeah, no, it it's it's true, and you make it sound so appealing. Uh, we are joined today also um, by two great guests. Heather Williams is the director of the Project on Nuclear Issues at CSIS and adjunct research staff member at the Institute for Defense Analyses. Hi, Heather. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Well, thanks thanks for joining us. Um, hope you feel good about it after we're all done. Um, gets, gets pretty rough around here. And uh, we're also joined by Alex Wellerstein, who is an historian of science who specializes in the history of nuclear weapons and government secrecy. He's also an associate professor of science and technology studies at the Stevens Institute of Technology. How are you, Alex? I, I was well until you reminded me about my mortality, but 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 I'm doing very. That was John that reminded you about your mortality. I uh, believe that the secret to success in life is repression, and um, if you can repress things until you die, you've really you've got it made. Um, uh, well, you know, John had the idea that this show might uh, 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 sort of take as a jumping off point the recent film uh oppenheimer uh now john is that the one with the pink car and the dream house i I mean i'm sure there's a pink car somewhere in the movie it's three hours long and so they can sneak in a lot of stuff um but no it it doesn't have the the same plastic appeal that the other movies this summer did yeah but it does have both of them have this kind of 50s vibe right 
this, yes, this right. kind of it, America, you know, in some of our youth, not, not that the fifties was my youth, but you know, in that general zip code. Um, uh, but you know, one of the things, and, and, and let's take this as the jumping off point and perhaps all three of you can talk about it and then we can take it wherever you want to take it, John, that strikes me in this film, um, is the, is that throughout it, it, you know, the nostalgic vibe that I picked up growing up as I did in the sixties, um, is that we thought a lot about that about catastrophe and the end of the world. You know, um, it was it was a big thing. You know, when you were a little kid, you were hiding under your desk with your coat over your head. And, you know, you say, why are we doing this? And they say, well, you know, the Russians are going to bomb us and we're all going to be melted into protoplasm. And, and this was on our minds all the time. And it doesn't seem to be on our minds all the time, although we possess not only the capability to destroy ourselves the way um, we were discussing then, but many other ways to destroy ourselves. Um, how did we how did we get so fortunate to live in such a, a much more optimistic era, Heather? Are we living in a more optimistic era? Well, I think I feel like I might have missed that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, just to point out, I think a lot of kids do still have to do drills where they're hiding under their desks. It's just for very different reasons. Um, and those types of shelter in, in place drills. But when it comes to nuclear weapons, which I'm guessing is the direction we're going with this, I think that nuclear weapons just left the public consciousness. With the end of the Cold War, they weren't in the news all that much. Um, you know, it was this great era of peace, the unipolar moment, and a lot of folks just forgot about them. And with Putin's invasion of Ukraine and his nuclear threats, you know, the expansion of China's arsenal, new technologies, um, they were starting to come back into the public consciousness. And I think Oppenheimer, one of the services that the movie does offer, is it has forced nuclear weapons back in the public consciousness and for us to all start thinking about them again. Yeah, Alex, we, we, we seem to be able to shrug it off so much more easily these days. You know, oh, well, Putin's threatening. Well, he probably won't use nuclear weapons. Let's talk about Trump again. <laughs> I mean, the, the term that the political scientists use for these things is salience. Uh, it, it's not that people don't know that nuclear weapons are out there. Nuclear threats exist. If you like poll people and say, do you think nuclear weapons are a problem? They'll say, sure, why not? Right. But if you ask people off the top of their head to name what they're actually concerned about, nukes aren't on the list. It'll be climate change. It'll be the economy. It'll be a million other things. But it's not like a lived experience. And and. To, to just double back to what you said about the hiding under your desk and hiding under your coat and all that, those activities, maybe they were futile in, in the sense of your coat might not have saved you, but uh, or your desk, but they do make you embody that, literally embody that threat, right? And to, to just double back on what Heather said, I'm, I'm in one of the very first generations of the uh, active shooter drills because my my hometown had a had a very early uh, school shooting in it. Uh, one of the first ones, Stockton Massacre. Look it up. And uh, uh, and so I was doing these drills before they even codified them correctly. And our drills were even more ridiculous than, than the ones they do now. But uh, 
that makes you feel like that's an actual thing that can happen to you to actually have to go through the drills in the same way that an earthquake drill, a fire drill, et cetera. Um, and I do think one of the reasons people don't think about nuclear threats is because children are not scared to death about them anymore. And that's sort of what is the precondition to really thinking about them and taking them seriously as adults as well. Yeah, it was just it's such a different period. I mean, you know, one of the things the movie talks about, uh, John, is this sort of sense of the existential choice that had to be made between Nazism and 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 the destructive powers of Nazism and and these weapons which could you know perhaps defend us against that um, and you know that generation my parents generation your parents generation Holocaust survivors and then you go from Holocaust survivors into the threat of of nuclear cataclysm and it seemed very very um, real um, and. And the, the the movie brought all that back, but um, you know, I, I somehow somehow we are we are managing um, not to be preoccupied with this anymore. And I, I just wonder your view on this, and then please follow this up with your questions for our guests. But um, are we making a mistake not to be as worried as we were? Um, I mean, yes. Um, it, you want to try to address the major challenges that are facing your families, your country and humanity and nuclear is, if not chief among them at the top level. Um, and, you know, I think Alex and Heather have talked about some of the reasons why, but part of the challenge here is that, um, politicians of both parties told us we won the cold war. We have removed the nightmare of nuclear weapons from you know our our children's and our grandchildren's existence. When in fact the weapons didn't go away, and both we and the Russians and others said, "Well, let's just hold on to these just in case," thinking that humans are good at managing this stuff. Right? It, it's not the weapons; it's the people. Right? It's not the guns; it's people's mental health. Let's address the mental health problem. When in fact, if you have a lot of big weapons lying around, eventually somebody's going to get shot. So, you know, I don't want to mix the gun control and the nuclear weapons metaphor too much because it's almost as played out as the automobile nuclear weapons metaphor. And, uh, you know, the nuclear geeks on the call will, will recognize that. Um, but I think the other reality here is that people feel powerless. I individually can get an electric car or put solar panels or ride a bike or, you know, divest myself of, you know, certain stocks. You know, I can have a small impact on the on climate change. How do I affect nuclear policy? Right? Even if I vote for a congressman or a senator or a president that cares, that's that's not going to make a difference. And, you know, the the civil defense drills where we hopped under our desk or you hopped under your desk, um, were performative. They they were meant to help people feel safe, even though we knew they would have no real impact. And the challenge is that unless you get a lot of people politically active to drive change, um, this is the status quo, and it's really hard to shift. And people know that. Uh, That being said, um, I did want to spend a little bit more time on the movie because uh, I know David. I don't know how excited you were about Oppenheimer. I know you're really much more a mutant ninja turtle guy. Um, but in the nuclear field, for nuclear geeks, Oppenheimer was both a little scary because we didn't know how the movie was going to go, but really exciting, right? Anytime our issues 
break out of our silo of excellence, we hope that that will get more people involved. Um, and both Heather and Alex are really, really deep, knowledgeable experts. So one, let me just say there are probably going to be some spoilers here. But since the movie came out in July, if you haven't seen it, you're really on your own. But I, I really want to ask both of you, you know, what both, you know, what you liked about the movie, but also what did it get wrong? Right. Because more people will know about nuclear weapons through Oppenheimer than through anything but NukeMap, um, which is Alex's creation. If you have some time on the Internet, go to NukeMap and figure out how to blow up your high school. That's pretty awesome. Um, but I'm just sort of curious, what did you love? But what did they really screw up? And then I want to ask David, I haven't even talked to you about the movie, whether you liked it or not. Heather, why don't you go ahead first? Um, sure. I'm going to I'm going to actually start with something that I didn't like about it. And then I'll talk about what I loved about it. Um, and then I also have a thing that I'm still not sure about uh, and would love to hear what, what the others think. So the thing I didn't really like about it was it just ends so abruptly. And there's much more to Oppenheimer's personal story and much more to the nuclear story that came afterwards. And honestly, when it ended, I was expecting you know, a couple screens with a little bit of text explaining, you know, Oppenheimer's wife went and lived in uh, somewhere in the Caribbean and had a really crazy life down there, which <laughs> I thought was also like, that was a great part of the book um, was what they got up to when they left, um, when they left the U.S., the continental U.S., um, but also saying a bit about, you know, what did these weapons go on to do, uh, the good and the bad and the ugly. Uh, and so making it also a story about the weapons themselves and trying to like, just bring it a little bit closer up into the contemporary context. So, so basically three hours wasn't enough. You wanted the extra three hours on, you know, you know I, I'm, I'm a reader. I wanted text. I just, like, <laughs> just give me a few sentences telling me what happens. Um, and, and I, I don't want it all tied up in a nice bow. Cause I don't think that can happen. But so that was something that for me, I just wanted a little bit more, you know, what came next. Um, the thing I absolutely loved about it was capturing the moral and ethical debates around these issues. And, you know, John, you and I have talked about this so much, and you've really inspired a lot of my own thinking on this. If you work on nuclear weapons and you never grapple with the moral issues, you need to go do that before you really pursue this career. And anyone who says, oh, this is a really moral issue, they are all good or they are all bad, I really push back on that. It's really complicated. Um, you know, if by threatening to kill people, you prevent the deaths of more people, is that ethical? Like, that's a really hard um, question to grapple with, and it gets to personal beliefs. And so I really liked that it drew out those personal challenges that I think, you know, almost everyone that I am close with in this field, we've talked about. And it really kind of like pulled back the curtain on some of those things, which I, I thought was great. Um, but the thing that, you know, I saw it a few weeks ago, and I went and saw it with the Pony team, uh, which let big me tell mis you. Big mistake, that, yeah. That, that might have been an error. <laughs> uh, there, there were a few scenes where I'm sitting next to, you know, like a 22-year-old research assistant. And I was like, oh, well. <laughs> I'm, 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 pretty sure, I'm pretty sure that's a, like a, a, a crime or at least some sort of HR violation you can be put in trouble well, with. Uh, well, I hope that none of those research assistants listen to this podcast and take you up on that. Um, but the the thing the thing that I'm still kind of thinking about was whether or not they should have shown uh, images from the actual bombings, because I knew I knew going into it that they wouldn't, and I thought that's appropriate. You should not show those. Um, it's disrespectful to the victims. It, you know, I had a whole host of reasons why I didn't think it was a good idea. But after seeing it, you know, they had like they try to capture it, 
I don't think that they, I mean, you could have overdone it, but I can't help but wonder if you had just one image um, that was not sensationalist, uh, that was somehow really captured the horror of that day and what these weapons are capable of. If that might have, if that might be a little bit of a missed opportunity to drive home the humanitarian consequences of the weapons. Um, So that was something I wasn't crazy about, something I loved and something I'm still processing. But I I would love to hear what what you and Alex think about that, the the issue of the images. Yeah, I mean, I want to ask Alex the the same question, but it's, it was much easier when I was a teenager protesting against nuclear weapons. It was all black and white. And then, of course, the more you learn, the more you realize that perspective matters, right? I mean, that the people working on the atomic bomb, mostly Jewish, knew that the Holocaust was happening, right? That it wasn't some secret that we found out in 1945. And so the idea that they were racing to build this thing to save their families was an animating feature. Um, and that Teller was convinced we had to have a, a thermonuclear bomb, an even bigger bomb because of what had happened um, during the war is an animating feature. And, and people are complex, um, uh, dangerous, uh, hard to predict um, um, factors in human existence. That's just the way it is. Alex, um, did you like the movie? What did they? And, and we only have another thirty minutes, so you can't say everything they got wrong because you know more about this than almost anybody. But I'm I'm curious what your highlights were. Uh, I don't know if I like the movie. It, it was a movie, I'll say that. It, it, it's 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 a piece of art. I don't know if you're supposed to like it or not, but it's it was complex. I'm not the target demographic, so I recognize that. So I'm trying not to you know yeah, be right. too harsh on it. But uh, I'll I'll tell you what I did like. I actually liked the ending. Uh, both because my God, it was a long time in coming, but, but, uh, uh, I thought that it actually wrapped things up in a nice way. It was one of the few places in the movie where they had a lot of setup and payoff that worked out because they had been setting that ending up since essentially the first scene in the movie. And, uh, and it released all that tension that had been building because they, they have so much in the movie. There's so much movie in that movie. And it just like does not relax. Every scene is short and quick and cuts to another. And I, they finally did it. And what I liked about it was I thought it was actually kind of clever because it is pretty inventive. That ending, I'm not going to go into details for the people who haven't seen it. Like that is not actually something that happened as depicted in the movie at all. That's an invention that Nolan came up with to wrap up the bigger theme of the movie, which is this question of like, what is your responsibility to creating these kinds of weapons and doing that with the topic that they did, even though it's not historical, whatever. I thought like, Oh, that's elegant. I didn't see it coming. And I thought that like, in the end, it like punches you right in the gut. And it basically says what uh, something that Oppenheimer would have actually agreed with, which is that uh, we actually live in like the worst possible outcome he could have imagined. So that that's nice to, we're in his sort of worst nightmare. What I also liked about the movie is that you could see, at least I could see, Nolan really dorked out on this. And I know he has a reputation for dorking out on topics, but he has obscure stuff. Like, he has named characters who don't need to be there, who are just named because they're a real person. And you're like, why would you throw that in there? How many people care about Charlotte Serber? Zero. Zero people care about Charlotte Serber, except me. I read Charlotte Serber's FBI file. I know everything there is to know about Charlotte Serber. Alex, you need to explain who Charlotte Serber was. Well, I mean, hilariously, they get that a little wrong. They make Charlotte Serber his his secretary. She was not the secretary. She was a librarian. That's a very different job. Uh, But she was the wife of Robert Serber, who was uh, Oppenheimer's sort of right-hand man at Los Alamos, one of his right-hand men. Uh, Interestingly, fun fact, not in the movie, uh, 
Charlotte Serber was hounded by the FBI for her entire life because somebody told them during World War II that her parents were communists, that somebody was Robert Oppenheimer, who was her close friend. But this was one of his ways. And they depict this a bit in the movie of trying to ingratiate himself to the security people was he threw a lot of people under the bus and said, don't worry, they're not a problem. And then they wiretap them for the rest of their life. So we have, you know, this horrible uh, file. Um, What they got wrong. I'm going to limit myself to three things that I think are like most important and not just nitpicky. Uh, Number one, for no doubt reasons of time, they jump almost precisely from 1945 to 1949. Uh, They sort of skip that post-war period. And that really screws up the truth about the Oppenheimer narrative. Uh, The narrative they tell is like Oppenheimer gets marginalized. And that's the period in which he is most influential. Uh, And, and like, they make Louis Strauss head of the Atomic Energy Commission from 1947 onward. He did not become head of the Atomic Energy Commission until 1953. Before Strauss was David Lilienthal, who was a good friend of Oppenheimer's. And I just emphasize that because it's it, his arc is not quite the one that they can sort of make work in the show because he's he's much more influential than they let on. Uh, second thing, uh, I didn't feel that they got the scale of the Manhattan Project right in any way. It felt like there's like 12 people at Los Alamos. And in reality, there were thousands. The Manhattan Project was like 500,000 people. And you just got the sense that it was kind of like easy and linear. And they, they, they again, I, I get it. They, they had limited time and they wanted to make it comprehensible. But it, it, it just doesn't get across the effort that was involved. They sort of skip a lot of the standard stories like the, the development of the, the discovery that they needed implosion when they didn't think they did, et cetera. Uh, and I get why they did that for time reasons, but I felt like it made it a little easy. The other thing that was missing, uh, I didn't like his Trinity test at all. I thought it was not uh, uh, awe-inspiring. I didn't want to quote the Bhagavad Gita. Uh, it, it just didn't capture the scale or the intensity of a nuclear explosion as described by the people who were there. It made it feel like a conventional explosion that they had scaled up a little bit, which is, I think, what it was. Uh, and I, I had, last, this, I had yeah. the same impression, but yeah. I, I I saved the five dollars and didn't go to IMAX, so I hear IMAX was better. But yeah. I went to the IMAX and it was okay, but it's still I, again I didn't I didn't feel like I'd seen a Hindu god or anything. Uh, and then lastly, I, I felt like they had an opportunity in this movie to um, the the framing of the reasons why they made the bomb and the reasons why they used the bomb. They oversimplified that a lot. And I felt like they could have easily shown that it's there's a lot going on on both of those. It's not just the Nazis. It's not just an invasion avoidance. There's a lot of complicated stuff going into why people were invested in using this weapon and why there was almost nobody who raised objections to it in the small group of people who made decisions about it. And I feel like even just going from Oppenheimer's perspective, they could have done a little bit more of showing like, well, yeah, there's these sort of official reasons why they did everything. And especially the reasons they gave after the fact. But in the moment of it, there were a lot of other things, including some that are, you know, all too human, right? Like, it's a it's a nice challenge to take on uh, things of that nature. So anyway, those are my those are my thoughts. Uh, Look, you've just explained um, perfectly why my wife would not go to the movie with me. Because she's tired of me, like poking her and being like, "Oh, they got this wrong, yeah. or they should have done this." And you know, this is why I have a Substack so I can write my review and talk about all the things. And interesting, we had a lot of overlap. But David, you're 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 the least nuclear geeky person on the call. Just did you like the movie? 
did you get anything out of it? Did you learn um, anything? Yeah. Well, I mean, you know, I come as this from the still pretty geeky perspective of being a national security geek, but I but I think that you know, for me, um, interestingly, it was and and this may just have to do with being a narcissist, but I you know it it. It it was a personal kind of series of reactions to this thing, and and I guess that meant it worked. You know, I mean, you know, and there are a variety of reactions, and I can't go through all of them right now. But, um, for example, you know, my dad was a scientist at Bell Labs, and I grew up surrounded by scientists with foreign accents talking like a lot of the people in this movie did, and it felt kind of like home. You know, it was kind of a kind of a strange, a, stra- a strange, strange reaction in the in in that respect. Um, and yet, you know, I, I I guess the the magnitude of the consequences of these issues when I was a kid was so great, as I intimated at the outset, um, that I felt I don't know that the movie was kind of. I don't know. A me, you know, a me, maybe the metaphor is an atomic explosion, where there's something relatively small and contained happening that sends out shock waves that are much greater uh, and and more visible in terms of consequences. And I missed those parts of the movie. You know, I missed the. You know, we can debate whether they should have shown the the victims or the impact, but. To me, the other half of the story is John Hershey's Hiroshima. You know, to to me, the other half of the story is is the consequences. Um, and then, you know, another component of it, and this is where my national security geeky side kicks in, is just the the, the thoughts that I've had ever since about, you know, was this a disastrous miscalculation on the part of humanity, or has it actually worked pretty well? And has it actually kept countries from having more wars like the one this was designed to end? Um, and we even see that to some extent in action now. Nuclear weapons work best when they're not used. Um, uh, so, you know, those that, those are kind of the welter of reactions I had. You were there alone because your family abandoned you and didn't want to go with you. Um, I, I actually took mercy on them because like, although I did, I did laugh because I left my wife at home, but then the two women sat down next to me and when they walked in, I'm like, all oh, these poor bastards, like they're going to get all and, sorts and of you sound started effects. nudging <laughs> them complete strangers. Exactly. Yo, do you see that guy? He invented the MRI machine and see that guy. He got a Nobel prize. You know, you must've, that must've been great. Did they escort you out like they escorted Lauren Boebert out of? I, I did not. I did not sing along uh, like Lauren Boebert, nor did I vape in the middle of the movie. So I, I was managed managed to control myself. And did you, at um, the end of the movie, give it your to both of your thumbs up? Yeah, you know, I, I'm like I'm with Alex, right? I, it was a movie, and I, it was a good biography, right? If you didn't know anything about Oppenheimer, you came away with a lot more information about Oppenheimer. Except they they low rolled the number of people that he slept with at the Manhattan Project. I think he only had it at one before Manhattan Project and probably his wife, but like every other woman there probably had Oppenheimer's fingerprints on them. And, you know, there wasn't much to do up there other than make bombs and drink. So it's not surprising. Um, I I did. I really enjoyed the movie and I I actually gave it a lot of um, space 
because there's only so much you can get in, right? I mean, I look at Alex's bookshelves and they're way bigger than mine, but like I'm a geek. And so, you know, I'm really interested in all the details here. I, I do think the the biggest thing for me was that women, as usual, got shafted in this movie, right? I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it'd be nice if they mentioned, you know, people that, you know, women that discovered radioactivity or that discovered that uranium actually can fission and, you know, that, you know, we're doing all the calculations. And it's like, you know, the only thing that women did in the movie were uh, answer phones and um, and drink heavily when they should be taking care of their children. But overall, I, I enjoyed it. And the hope is that it actually gets people talking about it, right? And that's what I was worried about is that it was going to be this gung-ho movie that nuclear weapons ended the war and, you know, kept the peace. And, you know, Nolan got a lot right for a guy who's also done movies on space and, you know, uh, consciousness and all sorts of other stuff. Um, he, he's done a good work and um, he's actually out on the trail talking about this. And again, to the extent that that gets people thinking about it, um, that gets to your first point, David, which is that people aren't really engaged on these issues. They got a lot to worry about from, you know, sh- active shooter drills to AI uh, replacing their jobs. And of course, um, we all sit around thinking about how AI is going to launch nukes and, um, you know, everything comes back to the nukes with us. Well, you guys, you, you know, you're a rare breed um, and, and maybe that's- We're, good, we're fun too. David. Maybe Maybe that's a good thing. Yeah, you seem like a barrel of laughs. Um, uh, anyway, at this point in in the podcast, we say thanks to everybody in the general public who's listening and say, if you want to listen to the whole podcast or any of our other podcasts in their entirety, then you got to go and become a member and it's $5 a month and you go to the dsrnetwork.com and you get tons and tons and tons of bonus content, great discussions like the discussion that's about to follow this break. For those of you who are members, you get to listen and should just stand by. 